0: Welcome to the Euromoney podcast series, Financing a Sustainable Planet. I'm Robin Liebern, and this is Episode 4, Rethinking the Refugee Crisis. This podcast is brought to you by Standard Chartered. Supporting clients for more than 150 years, Standard Chartered empowers communities and inspires change through ambitious social and environmental initiatives through its banking activities. Standard Chartered driving commerce and prosperity, whilst contributing to sustainable growth across the world's most dynamic markets. As we report in this episode on how the finance sector can play a role in protecting displaced people across the globe, we'll also be hearing the story of how Standard Chartered has helped support thousands of refugees in Zambia. Euromoney specialist content editor Charlie Corbett We'll be joined by Carby Leggett, Global Head of Public Sector and Development Organisations at Standard Chartered, for the in-house view. We'll be joining them throughout the show to hear about Standard Chartered's vital work on financial inclusion. Now, on with episode four.
1: Today, 60 million refugees, asylum seekers and internally displaced. It's a rising tide spilling across borders A world in crisis,
0: as described in 2015 by the UN's refugee agency, the UNHCR. A woman describes the trauma of seeing friends, their children, slaughtered in her home country.
1: She says it is impossible to return. 15 conflicts, either new or burning again in the last five years. 42,500 people displaced each day, every day.
0: Since then, a further 10 million people have been forcibly displaced. Across the globe, people forced to flee their homes face persecution, discrimination and insecurity. Families are split livelihoods ruined, incomes and official identities lost. The question of how to support the displaced looms large as the scale of the crisis grows. The UNHCR and other humanitarian aid organisations face a shortfall in funding each year. Refugees are often confined to camps or disappear into the informal economy. What's more, 85% of the world's displaced population is found in the developing world, where fragile economies limit the capability to support those most in need. And with the planet at risk of unprecedented environmental threats, the number of people forced to migrate is set to rise yet further. Estimates vary, but official organisations from the UN to the World Health Organisation predict hundreds of millions of environmental migrants by 2050. It is clear that fresh thinking is needed to plot a collaborative response to the challenge. And from financial inclusion to infrastructure needs and economic stability, the support of the finance sector will be vital.
2: One can only wonder how quickly public finances will become not irrelevant, but incredibly superficial as part of the solution if the numbers rise to the many hundreds of million. That drives one to, frankly, a logical conclusion, which is that those people need to access jobs.
0: Simon Zadek is director of the Migrant Nation Project at the UN Development Programme.
2: The vast majority of people who are forcibly displaced are excluded from the labour markets in the host countries in which they're based. And so our challenge is to figure out how the financial flows can function where people who are not citizens are struggling to open bank accounts or create the sorts of legal identity that is required in order to be part of the financial system. The digital economy begins to change our understanding of distance, change our understanding of what labour markets look like, how they function and how they can be accessed. For Zadek, there
0: needs to be a reappraisal of the response to refugee crises. Evolving from emergency aid to economic and social integration, He cites the example of global NGO Mercy Corps' partnership with Microsoft to provide digital training schemes in conflict areas as a sign of the potential.
2: The displaced population around the world could be seen as the next trillion-dollar economy. What is missing, however, is any real scaling-up opportunity. Most of these initiatives are quite small-scale, driven by organisations that themselves don't have a scaling model. So Mercy Corps sees that what they're doing is working, sees that there are many Microsofts, but actually Mercy Corps itself is not designed to be tomorrow's infosys. So we need to think what the scaled up building blocks might be to really begin to appreciate the large scale economy that this could become. One organization
0: meeting this challenge is the Tent Partnership, which collaborates with corporate partners to provide jobs, services, and support for refugees.
3: The Tent Foundation is laser-focused on mobilising businesses to do more to help refugees in very meaningful and tangible
0: ways. Tent was founded by Hamdi Ulukaya, a Kurdish migrant to the US from Turkey. His yogurt business, Chobani, has grown to become a major brand across the country. ...are having the greatest impact and the most sustainable impact in the long run. Ulukaya is now using his acumen and connections to help refugees. Tent Executive Director Gideon Maltz.
3: Fundamentally, we think the most important role for the business community is that of economic integration. Uh, At Tent, we don't actually think that the most shocking statistic in the refugee crisis is that there's almost 26 million refugees displaced. That's shocking. But the most shocking aspect is actually that one in two refugees is likely to be displaced for more than 20 years. Uh, And it's that long-term duration of refugees, that is such a huge challenge. And for people that are displaced that long, what they need is to be integrated economically into society. And we believe that's where the business community has the most vital role to play.
0: Tent encourages its corporate partners to welcome refugees into the economy. And Maltz is clear on the opportunities and benefits that can bring.
3: We commissioned a study that found for every one euro invested in refugee resettlement, there was two euros return for the economy. Similarly, there have been studies in the United States that found that uh, within 20 years, refugees paid more than $20,000 more in taxes than they received in benefits. So at the macroeconomic level, there's very clear benefits. And then at the business or firm level, a study we commissioned found that refugees have retention rates almost three times higher than non-refugee employees. And finally, we worked with NYU Business School to commission a series of consumer perception studies. And we've consistently found that, uh, especially among younger consumers, they are much more likely to purchase from brands that are stepping up to support refugees.
0: Wider global examples support tense findings. The World Refugee Council has linked Sweden's integration of asylum seekers to its GDP outperforming others in the Eurozone. In Africa, Uganda has made the inclusion of refugees a platform for economic growth. Yet... Integration is not easy, and it faces a variety of obstacles. The experience of Jordan with Syrian refugees illustrates the scale of the challenge. Official UNHCR numbers for refugees in the country stand at 650,000, but there are estimated to be at least that number again present in the country.
4: I'm here in Zaatari camp. It just goes on and on.
0: Here's author and UNHCR Goodwill
4: Ambassador Neil Gaiman in Jordan. I'm glad to be part of the family of humanity. Because when we do what family does best, which is look after each other, we do it right. And seeing what's happening in these camps has made me realise that sometimes we do do it right. Civilization is paper thin. The people I've been meeting, lived normal, boring, dull lives. They owned shops, they had factories, they worked in factories, they sold things, they were us. And now they don't have anything. And they're building it all back up here. And they hope they can go home. And I hope they can go home, too. That's all.
0: Zaatari is the largest Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. Its business is generating $13 million each month for refugees, according to the UN. Yet most residents don't have an official work permit for Jordan. A study by the London School of Economics suggests that as few as 40,000 Syrian refugees actually possess permits at the latest count, well short of the stated goal of 200,000. And just 5% of permits have been issued to women.
5: So we're the first code boot camp in the Middle East. It's exciting to be able to take somebody from poverty to prosperity in 16 weeks.
0: An innovative initiative called Reboot Camp has stepped in to try to address the problem by offering courses in coding to train employable software workers in a matter of weeks. In the next 45
5: minutes, uh, light bulbs started flashing, and uh, when I got back to Amman, Jordan, I pretty much sketched out a proposal to the UN to provide computer skills, digital tools, training to the refugees. Hugh
0: Bosley is Reboot Camps founder. He says there's no doubting the potential of the refugees he's met in Jordan.
5: You can go to Zaatari and you can. There's two responses. One is, Oh my God, this is terrible. This is tragic. Another response is, This is an incredible testament to human resiliency. I would see women that had just walked 250 kilometers with everything they own on their back and five kids in tow. They get to the camp, they set up a tent, they look around, what have I got? I've got some sand, I've got some rocks, I've got some water. Boom, they start making concrete. And they pave the inside of their tent, and next they're selling concrete to their neighbors. I want to be on their team.
0: They have that entrepreneurial spirit, they have that get-it-done attitude, that growth mindset, if you will. Bosley knew from his Silicon Valley connections that the global software community was ready to widen the recruitment net. Reboot Camp has now ushered through its seventh cohort, with 95% gaining employment within six months of being on the course. Graduates have also been creative in ways around the lack of Jordanian work permits by taking on consultant roles with overseas firms. According to Bosley, Reboot Camp's Education First programme leads to benefits beyond the mere financial. Our focus
5: is empowering displaced people, migrants, refugees, with the kinds of skills they need to navigate the fourth industrial revolution, to navigate a 21st century economy, and ultimately, hopefully, use these skills to go back, to return to their countries, to stitch together the broken fabric, the torn fabric. The problem solving, the conflict resolution, the restorative justice practice, the supportive communication, those sort of soft skills. Being able to to practice that is massive um, in terms of rebuilding a country, in terms of putting back together the state. So ultimately that's why we're there. We're there
0: to wage peace. Reboot Camp has also sought to ground its work in a sustainable financial model, brokering loans for students who then repay them from their pay packets on finding employment. But without significant infrastructure or capital reserves in place, operations such as Bosley's are unable to corral the kind of financial support needed to permanently change the refugee finance landscape. We'll be back after the break to find out how scale can be achieved. Now it's time for us to hear part one of the standard chartered in-house view. Over to our host, Euromoney specialist content editor Charlie Corbett.
6: In this episode's In-House View, we're going to be talking about financial inclusion. In particular, Standard Chartered's work with the UN to give refugees in Zambia access to financial services. With us to talk through the project, we have Carby Leggett, Global Head of Public Sector and Development Organisations at Standard Chartered. Welcome, Carby. Thanks for joining us.
7: Thank you for having me.
6: Carby, could you please set the scene for us and give a brief description of the project itself?
7: Sure. The Mahaba refugee camp was opened in the early 1970s and is situated just a short distance from the uh, the borders of the Democratic Republic of Congo and Angola in the northwestern province of Zambia. The the settlement itself is vast. It sits on almost 700 uh, square kilometers and has more than 12,000 people, people who originally came from neighboring countries, uh, including the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and Burundi. The camp is managed by the Zambian Commissioner of Refugees, which sits under the Zambian government. And many uh, international aid agencies have for many years uh, been providing support to the community there. The objective of our project was very simple. to Reduce the amount of time people spent waiting in line to co- collect their cash disbursements and ensure in doing so it was done in a safe and fair manner.
0: We'll be back with more from Standard Chartered later in the show.
4: For me, business is, first of all, do something that you like.
0: All of us, we have a idea. We have a dream.
8: I'm a refugee. I come to another country. I try to make my dream come true.
9: My name is Musa. I am a chef. <laughs>
0: Musa recently resettled in Greece, having fled the Ivory Coast, and is the beneficiary of a scheme which is supporting refugees with finance and mentorship. The Pathways to Progress initiative, a collaboration between relief organisation, the International Rescue Committee, and American financial group Citi, backs entrepreneurs in need of support. It's an example of the kind of public-private partnership which marries financial stability with the experience of humanitarian aid groups. The IRC is also working to gather support for consumer loans to refugees in the US as it looks to adapt typical finance sector products to create an investable opportunity. As a former humanitarian worker and now an analyst on emerging financial markets, Gary Kleinman has a special interest in refugee finance. He argues that proven models in other areas, such as green bonds, can
1: be adapted to encourage greater investment supporting the displaced. If you look at it from a a pure financial market perspective, you know, the analogy that I use very much is you saw how the whole green allocation has become uh, mainstream. But we know that in terms of handling emergency response, that conventional debt issuance, both local and external, is is fairly routine. Public-private partnerships and the expertise of humanitarian groups,
0: says Kleiman, are vital in fostering investor confidence through the accurate reporting of impact results. And just like in the case of green bonds, official action in terms of guarantees and issuer support could kickstart change.
1: You want to try to make sure that you know the issuer can get a discount from what it's already doing conventionally. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And I think the difficulty is innovating You know, the first products. Once that is done, I think that private underwriters um, will duplicate that template, uh, embracing these recommendations, looking at debt alternatives as well as equity, and really using this as uh, a lever to raise the long term funding on large scale that is heretofore uh, doesn't exist and is chronically unavailable using the traditional government-to-government fundraising. As you know, I mean, the UN and other appeals are chronically tens of billions of dollars short. Building this large-scale financial infrastructure will be vital
0: in changing the fate of refugees. But at the other end of the scale, it's also important that people have access to personal banking so they can fully participate in the economy.
4: As market trader, Sarah Asimwe arranges the fruits and vegetables for display at her stall in a small Ugandan town. She considers how easy it has become for her to source produce with mobile money. Just a few years ago, the majority of the population in sub-Saharan Africa, including small business owner Sarah Asimwe, would have very little interaction with the formal financial system. But thanks to mobile money services and agent banking, this is beginning to change.
0: Once again, partnerships have been successful in drawing private finance. Since 2011, the International Finance Corporation and Mastercard have been supplying services such as mobile banking across sub-Saharan Africa. This gives greater access to much-needed personal financial services. Refugees face a number of barriers. A lack of credentials with which to access accounts and restrictions on aid organisations, forcing them to work with better-rated banks, which are unlikely to have a branch presence in areas of need. This can lead to large populations of unbanked refugees, and also prevent the flow of overseas support passing from family and friends. These remittances are a vital part of migrant support, representing a larger market than that of international aid channels.
8: People around the world work hard
4: every day.
0: Non-profit loan specialist Kiva has a depth of understanding in financial inclusion, having distributed $1.3 billion in crowdfunded microloans since its launch in 2005. Will Jacobson is Senior Director of Strategic Investments at their newly launched asset management arm Kiva Capital. He says Kiva's extensive network of field partners has helped establish viable markets in emerging economies. Kiva's capital was,
9: was so unique in that it was uh, low-priced and risk-tolerant and the, the results spoke for themselves where there was a perception that these new communities were a flight risk, were a credit risk, Uh, we found through the data that the repayment rates are virtually the same of of host populations and general populations the banks had already worked with. So you have, uh, for many of these individuals, a strong desire and capacity uh, for employment, for entrepreneurship, that we think the global community needs. And I think financial inclusion and financial access is just one piece of that. But without having that access, you start to limit the long-term effectiveness
0: of every other program. Kiva Capital's first fund, dedicated to refugee investment, is slated to close in late 2019. Jacobson says the fund is drawing attention from investors of all stripes, thanks to its inherent focus on sustainability and the opportunity to catalyze a huge, untapped market.
9: You have investors saying, we need to find assets that behave differently differently in a market correction as as more and more signs point to kind of a looming market recession. The second part of the investment audience are what I call universal investors. Those asset owners that have 20, 30, 40, 100-year timeframes that they have to manage their capital and recognize that if you start to step back and look at the existential risks that threaten certainly the financial markets, but but the earth as a whole, uh, they need to find ways to contribute to alleviating some of those risks. And I think when you have trillions of dollars of unproductive capital, and, and in my mind, if you have negative yielding debt, that is inherently exactly that, unproductive capital. And then on the other side, you have an economic opportunity for for millions that are desperate to live productive lives in my mind you've got a fit there and so it's how can we build that how can we evangelize that opportunity i think the the refugee fund we're working on now is is exactly that
0: now it's time to go back to the in-house view as we join charlie corbett and carby leggett to hear why Standard Charter's financial inclusion programme has been so important to the quality of life of refugees in the Mahaba camp in Zambia.
6: The programme was specifically designed to help digitise cash-based intervention payments. Could you explain what are cash-based interventions, why are they important, and what are the problems with the current method of distributing these payments that digitisation will
7: solve? Cash-based intervention is, is any intervention in which cash and vouchers are provided to refugees for their purchase of goods and services. They also have a very important positive impact on the local economy, and it creates a better overall environment. Ultimately, it gives them more access to government services and increases their own self-reliance. Delays and postponements of cash-based intervention and distribution dates have meant that the beneficiaries often had no idea when the disbursements would actually take place. And sometimes they'd have to return every day and wait in lines until the distribution process actually began. Beneficiaries reported that cash-based intervention could take up to five days, sometimes even longer. And in order not to miss their names being called when they came to collect their money, they would often stand in line from 6 a.m. until uh, very late in the evening. And this lengthy disbursement process often resulted in lost opportunities and allowed people to miss chances to otherwise create income for their families. This entire process is time-consuming and prone to human error, and reducing the dispersal time would help ensure these payments are distributed on a monthly basis and make these payments both reliable and predictable. For the Zambian government, this process also created an awful lot of stress. The stress of moving physical cash is, is arguably one of the biggest problems that this type of process takes. And that's why Standard Chartered, together with in collaboration with the United Nations and the Zambian government, Microsave and Airtel Money, decided to come up with a pilot program to digitize the entire process and using mobile technology to see if we could eliminate these challenges and make the process simpler.
0: We'll find out the results of the scheme at the end of the show. Now, back to the episode, as we find out how to marry innovative financial solutions and long-term planning to achieve sustainability in refugee finance. Innovation is going to be key in reimagining systems which have relied on aid funds, appeals and handouts from the top table. At Kiva, for example, a new platform being trialled in Sierra Leone, named Kiva Protocol, is using blockchain technology to allow users to have their own protected digital identity, including personal and financial details. Access to secure, decentralised online currencies could provide a real boost to the financial future of migrants. Technology is also being used to shape a wider practical solution to the issues of displacement.
10: Looking at the world, it can seem chaotic. It's filled with people moving in every direction, seemingly with no discernible pattern. But it's there, refugees fleeing war and persecution, and migrants escaping poverty and environmental impacts. At the Danish Refugee Council, we conduct thousands of interviews with refugees and migrants all over the world to collect and document their personal stories.
0: The Danish Refugee Council has partnered with IBM to map migration patterns to plan such a response. This kind of long-term planning is the next crucial step in building resilience and securing a more sustainable future for those who've been displaced. And innovation isn't confined to technology alone. The Sustainable Development Zone Alliance proposes the use of special economic zones, such as exist for other purposes elsewhere.
8: It was places like Shenzhen, Hong Kong and Singapore, with radically different governance from the areas around them, which produced just explosive economic growth, and inclusive economic growth at that.
0: Michael Castle-Miller is the director of the SDZA. He argues that the current refugee camp model simply results in stagnation, The Alliance's proposal, with zones built and managed by a private developer, connects infrastructure and finance to benefits on the ground, work permits,
8: planning rights, and home ownership for refugees. It essentially establishes a land value tax, which many consider to be the most efficient and effective way to build a sustainable economic model. The area becomes more prosperous and more attractive, which raises land value, which the developer captures as rental income. This aligns the financial incentives of the SDZ developer with good governance. When we allow people from different backgrounds to integrate, to collaborate, to support each other, we all become stronger.
0: And so to integrate the displaced, to create technology and economic conditions which welcome rather than push them away, presents a path to sustainability. But without vision and a clear strategy, the risks are too much to bear.
10: Let me set the scene 45,000 people every day are forced from their homes because of conflict or natural disaster. Climate change has cost the economy $925 billion in the last five years. And six of ten women and girls are raped as they migrate. People are hurting and economies are being set back.
0: Kathy Boffman-McLeod is the director of the Adrian Asht Rockefeller Resilience Centre at the Atlantic Council. Working with partner organisations, the centre seeks to protect populations against the threats of climate change, migration and conflict.
10: Resilience is your ability, your knowledge that lets you prepare for, withstand and recover from shocks and stresses like storms, floods, fires, disasters.
0: Boffman-McLeod previously worked with Bank of America as they directed $125 billion toward climate mitigation projects. And she sees parallels in the potential use of capital to solve migration issues.
10: The humanitarian traditional approach has been response, but there is an opportunity to reframe and deploy capital at a huge scale. And so it suggests the possibility of resilience bonds, forecast-based financing, risk pooling, and thinking about ways that capital can be deployed for prevention, not just for the migrants, but for the communities that are hosting them. And to see commitments like Bank of America's and that ability to make and grow a market suggests exactly what needs to happen for us to be able to address a problem as challenging and as immense as migration. The Arsht
0: Rockefeller Resilience Centre is already exploring partnerships in apps, data tracking, climate mitigation, transport, infrastructure, and even entertainment content. And as we've heard throughout this series, the scope for investment in dealing with global issues is clear. There is a sense of urgency given the scale of the refugee crisis the largest since the Second World War. And finance has a critical role to play in improving the opportunities and circumstances for the displaced. And as the world is confronted by the consequences of ongoing conflict and climate change, the economic call to action grows ever more important. Thank you for listening. And now it's time for the final part of the Standard Chartered In-House View with Euromoney's Charlie Corbett and Standard Chartered's Global Head of Public Sector and Development Organisations, Carby Leggett.
6: We heard earlier in the episode about the challenges in making these kinds of payments in refugee camps. In terms of digitising these payments, how has the new system changed people's lives for the better? What did you learn of most value for the future and what are the next steps?
7: Well, the pilot program was a great success. 97% of the beneficiaries in Mahaba were able to withdraw their mobile wallets immediately. And the cash-out process took only three days as opposed to the manual process, which could sometimes take 10 or even more days. It's expected as beneficiaries gain more trust in this process that over time, they may not take all the cash out immediately either. They may leave some of it in in their mobile wallet. This success tells us that there's great demand and great potential to expand it. We're now considering uh, moving this program into other refugee communities and ensuring that humanitarian assistance can be delivered in an even more timely, transparent, and efficient manner uh, that achieves the main goal of assisting refugees as they acclimatize to their new way of life.
6: Carby Leggett, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thanks to Charlie and Carby. And for all of our latest coverage on sustainable finance, please visit euromoney.com. And if you want to get involved in the Financing a Sustainable Planet podcast series, please email podcasts at euromoney.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the series, leave us a review and a rating, and recommend us to any friends or colleagues that have a passion for sustainable finance. This podcast series is presented and reported by me, Robin Lieber. Managing Editor is Helen Avery, the producer, Richard Myron, of Earshot Strategies. Marketing comes from Chris Erasmus and Mia Bailey. Executive producer is Christopher Hunt. And the in-house view is presented by Euromoney's specialist content editor, Charlie Corbett. Financing a Sustainable Planet is produced by Euromoney and Earshot Strategies. And our thanks to Standard Chartered for supporting this series.